everyone. Thank you for tuning into Unapologetically Different Podcasts. We are back in full effect for season three, episode 17. Yeah, we're back, baby, baby. <laughs> Pierre and I took a mini break to work on our show. We wanted to work on revamping our show, revitalizing it, and reevaluating it to make sure that we continue to bring you the best content. Yeah, we definitely want to just keep working, keep getting better, and just, like I said, best content and just make unapologetically different great again (laughs) (laughs) you cute no shade Um, shade. (laughs) uh, so with that being said i think we should just dive right into it so we live in the united states of america arguably the best country in the world and we've gone through so much as a nation we overthrew the slave system and the confederate army in the 1860s We got through the Jim Crow laws in the 1960s. We defeated Nazi Germany in the 1940s. But if we fast forward to today, 2017, we still are dealing with a lot of a lot of issues right now that some would some are very surprised that we still have to deal with. So fast forward to August 11, 2017, strong emphasis on 2017, by the way. A group of white supremacists, also known as terrorists, also known as the Nazis, met on the University of Virginia campus. They arrived with tiki torches, chanting, you will not replace us. It's kind of odd, because I'm not sure who us is and why they feel they are being replaced. You know, reality is they are the most prevalent race in this country, and they are the most privileged. So the fact that you feel that you're being replaced is very questionable, when that's not really the case. Um... So it was like a two-part, it was a two-part riot in a sense. So Friday night was like the precursor to the Unite the Right riot for Saturday. Keep in mind that the Unite the Right riot was in response to the city's decision to remove a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee from Emancipation Park this year. Also, the council had agreed to change the park's name from Lee Park to Emancipation Park. So those two events happening basically was like the core or the reason as to why these riots took place in Virginia on Friday and Saturday. Yeah. And so they were organized by Jason Kessler, who actually tweeted, incredible moment for white people who've had it up to here and aren't going to take it anymore. Tomorrow we hashtag unite the right, hashtag Charlottesville. And just watching the videos and the news reports about the the riots and everything that was going on, it was scary. Like, a lot of these people had so much hate just from the look in their eyes, their body language, watching them walking in, like, this procession, army-like style, and just shouting all this hatred. Um, it definitely was reminiscent to marches of like Hitler youth groups and other ultra-right nationalist organizations over the past century. And to be honest, them having Nazi flags was just, that made it really reminiscent of that as well, which makes absolutely no sense to me that, like you said, in 2017, there, there are people in the United States waving Nazi flags and there's so many people who fought and died against that in this country so just right off the bat like i was just like i don't even understand this right now this is ridiculous um 
So according to Kessler, like they said, they've had it up to here. What do you think they were referring to, Key? Like, I, I kind of have my thoughts on that, but I want to hear what you think about that. Um, I think in part, honestly, that is derived from us having President Obama in office for two terms. I do think to some extent that there are certain groups of white people who are racist, of course, that had a problem with him being president. The problem with the fact that a black man is president for two terms. And the reason why I'm specific in saying racist is because if you're not racist, it wouldn't have bothered you so much because a black man was running this country. Now, if you have a problem with his platform and the things that he stood for that you feel like did not coincide with what you wanted in your president, that's understandable. That's valid. But I think in part, his race played a huge role in that. And I think that's where the I'm fed up or we are fed up. And it was a great night or day for white people, whatever the hell that means. So I think that's, it's derived from that, but it's not being stated explicitly. Um, I definitely see that. And, but for me, and this is just my opinion based on what I've like heard, learned, and actually just had conversations with people. When, when a black person and a white person get together and have like reproduce, have kids, usually those black features that melanin is really dominant and takes kind of that child looks black yeah um and i i have friends who've told me they're white like they'll date black guys or black girls but they can't have kids with them because those kids will be considered black and i kind of feel like that's kind of where these white supremacists are coming from they don't want they they're trying to protect their they're trying to preserve... Pre- exactly, pre- okay. exactly right. We're preserve their race, and they don't want any mixing because it's for them it's not pure, and I just think that's crazy, but... Well, my thing is, if that's the case, were they thinking about that when Christopher Columbus was running around raping women? They weren't preserving their race when you were intermingling with women of color and blatantly raping them and having mixed babies. And that happened years ago. And we still celebrating him for whatever reason. I don't even understand that. So if that's if that's the way they want to ride on, you know, your people, <laughs> your friends, then they need to go back in their history books and check out what their ancestors have done and caused us to be where we're at now. So I don't think that's even a valid reason. But I see where you're coming from. Yeah. To be honest, I, I really don't understand... I try to figure it out. I really don't understand where all the venom and hatred comes against people of color. I don't know why that is, but I feel like that you can have an entire episode. You can have an entire like show about that. Yeah, I don't, we will, honey. I, <laughs> you already know we will in the near future. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, but again, I think also with, with Trump being in office... Like, a lot of these white supremacists and Nazis, they do feel empowered since he's since he's become president. At, and I know there are people who argue against that and saying he's not causing any of this stuff to happen, but a lot of his campaign was run with divisive language, hatred, just bashing of people, and it's like... If the president, who's supposed to be like the moral standard for the country, Hmm. if that's how he's operating, these people are, it's going to make it that much easier for them to actually come out and spew this 
crap that they're doing. Yeah, I mean, he ran his whole campaign on that. And also, prior to even him running as president, that was, like, the core of who he is, or was, and still is to this day, actually. Um, he ride his whole, like, election and campaign on that wave. So, I see where groups like that feel empowered, and they feel like they have a right to speak, and they have a right to carry on all kinds of ways and I always question would this riot have taken place if Obama was in office? Would they have been that bold enough and to take it up a notch and say listen we're about to have a riot and this is how it's going to go down because I just feel like the timing of all of this is very interesting and you know when, when Trump won people was like it's not going to be a big deal the world's not going to come to end like it's not that serious well you know <laughs> it's year one yeah. And we have this going on. This is not... We're not even a full year. It's like the beginning stages. Damn. And you got these people coming out. KKK's coming out. Getting real fancy. Bold as all hell. I ain't never seen this so much boldness in my life since I've been on this earth. So, I don't know. You know, people saying it's not a big deal. It's not... This is year one. And this is happening. This is year one. So we have to be really cognizant of what we're saying about this man being in office. Like, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. And the way we're looking as a country right now is a hot-ass mess. Yeah. Um, I think, like, back to, like, Trump versus Obama. Obama ran on hope and change. And Trump ran on making America great again. And I think that can sound very subjective because depending on who you're asking, making America great again can mean completely different things for different people. Yeah. But for these people that were at this rally, riot, um, what what America being great for them, I definitely don't want to be in that America, just to say the least. That that I, I, that's not a place that I want to be in because, like again, very divisive. The anti-Semitic, anti-black, misogynistic things they were saying, it was just, I don't even understand how these people, I don't, I don't know how you can have that much hatred in you. I think the events that took place in Charlottesville really sheds a light on the status of America in terms of race tension. Racism is definitely alive and people that try to say that's not the case were past that either are not looking or just choosing to be ignorant to it. And I think these events are just bringing that to the forefront, which is important because now we can have a real conversation around it. Um, so on Saturday, August 12th, at the Unite the Right rally, there were, there were not only neo-Nazis, white supremacists, but the Ku Klux Klan also were present in response to the removal of the statue. There were about 80 to 100 members there. Um, these members were armed because Virginia is an, actually an open carry state. And there was a court injunction that halted the statue's removal until a November hearing because of everything that was going on. So with these alt-right members, uh, with these alt-right white nationalist parties coming out to defend the removal of the statue. It also brought out counter-protesters who were there because they did not believe in everything that was going on that the, the alt-right were spewing. And 
among one of these counter protesters, there was a young woman by the name of Heather Hayer, who was a 32-year-old paralegal who was actually killed by one of the terrorists in the alt-right. His name was James Field, and he was a 20-year-old who rammed his car into a crowd. Not only was Heather Hayer killed fighting and defending what she believed in was right, but there were about 19 people who were injured from this act of domestic terrorism. Field was charged with second-degree murder, malicious wounding, and additional charges were anticipated to be filed in the near future. Now, what I find to be interesting pertaining to this, the common misconception about racism is that it's prevalent among the among the older generation. You know, um, but when you hear of a 20-year-old white supremacist neo-Nazi ramming into a crowd of people, protesters, who are there to really promote love and encourage unity and solidarity and here you are ramming into them and you end up killing someone and you injured several other people um there was also a gentleman who was injured and he was protecting his fiance and um he ended up he was paralyzed and he's in a wheelchair to my understanding and to just be mindful of that as to what's going on and to know that a 20 year old actually played a part in that to me, that's very questionable because it's like, where are we? What what are we going to do from here? Because the misconception was, it's the old generation. Don't worry about it. Once those people die off, we're going to be good. But if you got a 20-year-old, a 20-year-old boy <laughs> partaking in these activities and is, have so much hatred in him and is, ba is racist, clearly no denying that then it dismiss this misconception of whatever the case may be is a myth in my mind it's a myth because it's just like it's not about the older generation it has trickled down to the younger generation and it's like how do we have those conversations now what where do we go from here in terms of that situation how do we handle that you over there thinking what's going on over there oh I'm thinking, honestly, I'm not surprised whatsoever. I think that's just how the world works. Most kids are very similar to their parents. So if you have racist parents, then that's what that's the household you're going to grow up in. Those are the You're going to hear racist things being said. You're going to be told certain things about certain ethnic groups or type of people, whatever the case may be. So I, I definitely feel like I, I've always understood this because I've dealt with racism when I was younger, like junior high school, I dealt with kids saying blatantly racist things to me and we were like 13 years old. They didn't just learn this in a vacuum. Nobody wakes Literally. up and they just wake up racist. This is These are learned behaviors and thoughts. So people felt more comfortable thinking, oh, it's just the older generation of people. Once they're gone, it's not going to be the same, but that's just a fairy tale way of looking at it. If the older generation's racist, a lot of what their their sentiments are going to be passed on to their children. That's not to say that their children can end up different and people yeah. can have their own opinions and be different from their parents, but it's not going to be gone with the older generation. Like that, It's passed on, and clearly, as you can see, 20-year-old and... When we're looking at the pictures from the, the the riots and the rally that was going on, there's nothing but young young faces there. 
It really was. And that's was the scary part about it is that a lot of them are like relatively our age. They're among the unique millennials. Yeah. How we like to classify ourselves as. So it's like it's shocking to see that happening. And I understand what you're saying. It's not a surprise. To some aspects, I don't know. I felt like there were times that I believe that it was primarily the older generation. I did come across instances where it was like, okay, well, there are people among my age group that are white and who are racist and they may not consider themselves as such or those who are part of the movement and feel like they're doing something empowering when in fact when you have conversations with them and the way that they categorize things it's just like oh you you you're a little confused over there you need to be corrected so i could see where you're coming from i'm not fully like in awe but it's just i guess for me it's like this is the counter to what people have been saying like oh it's the older generation but it's like but it's not but because you look at those pictures, they're young. And it's not even just with the woman who died as well. Like, another part of it that was really problematic for me was, um, so there was a protester there named DeAndre Harris. And he was chased down by, like, several white men. And there were a mob of them, for that matter. And they beat him. And they hit him over his head with, like, a stick or whatever. And his you could see in a picture, like, his, it's going viral. Like, his, his like, for not, not as far, but his top part of his head is, like, opened up. And it's blood everywhere. He survived the attack. But what amazes me is that we have pictures of these men at the incident. And yet, they have not been charged. So, it's like, this way we... Now, if, now if this was... If this, flip the script. This was Black Lives Matter protest slash riot rally, whatever. <laughs> How many bodies would there have been by the police officers? Like, off the rip. They would have went out. You, Yes, we could say it's an open carry state. You cute. That's fancy. But let's keep it on it. Like, how is it that several white men attacked this one black boy, and we have pictures of the white men who attacked him, but yet none of them have been charged. None of them have been arrested. None of them, nothing has happened. So, you want, it's not even just about, it's not even just about these neo-Nazis and terrorists partaking in these activities but then you have police officers who are meant to protect and serve so who are you protecting and serving if you can't find these dudes that beat up this boy but if the tables was turned and it was a mob of black men attacking a white man and you had pictures of them they would have been found already locked up and all trial would have done happen probably would have done years by now so why is it you can't find these dudes and that to me is like wow like that's crazy to me no one's really talking about it but you know it is what it is but that's something that i've noticed as well you know i i understand heather had died unfortunately and she's plastered everywhere as a hero for some people as she should be but we gotta really look at the other parts of it where it's like this is very questionable like why is it you haven't found a person who did that to that boy why is it that we have pictures of them but nothing's happening what, what's the hold up like you wasn't expecting that or you just don't want to do your job I'm, I'm confused. I just need clarification on that. Um, to also bring it back, though, the aftermath of the riot was also interesting. The Donald <laughs> made his first statement on Saturday about the incident. Um, he stated this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, violence on many sides. Many sides. I think people was livid. I remember when you, you peeped the video and you was tight. You was like, is he serious? I was like, yo, like this ain't... Bruh, I'm not even surprised by this. I'm going to ask you your take on it, but let me just finish what he was saying, too. And then he reiterates the purpose of law and order. Mind you, he used that a lot during his campaign. It was primarily meant for the black community because they need we need to be controlled, you know, and we need to be tamed. 
So the fact that he incorporated that into this statement was very odd. <laughs> but it's the Donald, so you can't expect much. And he stated that we need to come together and have, um, as a nation, and have true affection for each other. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, when I was listening to the press conference, I at first, I'm like, okay, he's sounding presidential. I, I thought, okay, this statement is sounding good. But then when the when he ended it off with many sides and then reiterated many sides again, in my mind, I instantly just thought, okay, so I don't know if that's Steve Bannon in his ear telling him what to say. Like, this is how, this is how we're gonna, this is how we're gonna spin it to protect my people. <laughs> or if this is just coming straight from the Donald. But I was like, are you, are you kidding me right now? Like, that it's not many sides. The sides that had like bats, weapons, shields, and freaking Nazi flags. Like I feel like that is clear that that is the side that's in the wrong. Any side that has Nazi flags like waving, I, I, like off the rip, you're wrong. I feel <laughs> like, like off the rip. Why would you even like? I that is just mind blowing to me. And, yeah, so, Nazi, one side with Nazi flags, the other side against what that, the Nazi side is saying, and, I don't know, this guy, <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like, I feel like a robot right now, and it's just like, I just got, I'm Y'all stuck in a loop, like, I don't even, face right now, he's like, living, like this guy. It really just doesn't make, well, I can't even say it doesn't make sense. It definitely makes sense because this is who he is. He knows who his base are, the people that are supporting him, and he's standing by it because after he got a lot of backlash regarding those comments, he came out and specifically named, said white, te uh, white supremacists, white nationalists, neo-Nazis, and actually name those groups, those hate groups, and, but a lot of people felt that he did it too late, and once he heard that, he came back and doubled down on it, on the many sides, and I'm just like, okay. You got a problem. Like, it's just, it's, for you to come back out and double down on it, like, you already got a problem. To me, that first press conference was enough. I didn't need him to come out and sound politically correct and, and clean up his little his speech or whatever. I'm sure he didn't write much of it, but he was thinking it. Um, I'm not surprised. Like, to me, it was like, okay, this is what it is. Like, this is where we at. If you didn't know during his campaign, um, sucks for you. <laughs> you wasn't paying attention. But to me, it's it was not a surprise that he said that. And even watching it, I was just like, I, I don't have any expectations for this man. Like, I really don't. The fact that he's getting up every day and he's still president is shocking to me. It's mind-blowing to me. So I really don't have any, like... I'm not surprised by his first initial press conference. And, I, you know, I, I'd rather he be true to who he is and just say, I made my first press conference, that's what it was. For you to come out with another one, and people felt like you came out too late and then you want to double down. It's like, yo, bro, just be who you are. You've been who you are this during the whole time. Let's not switch it up now act like you care, like you got a heartbeat. Now let's keep it 100. I like the plug. Hashtag be who you are. <laughs> Follow us on all social media. <laughs> <laughs> really? So also, what happened after the riot, too, is that there were reporters who were just, like, 
in disbelief about Trump's antics, which I'm like, really? Y'all surprised? I would have to say Exhibit A, <laughs> Melissa Francis, she's a Fox News correspondent, and they were talking about the aftermath of what was going on, and she basically was crying a friggin' river because she was like, the conversation pertaining to this issue and race is uncomfortable. And to me, it's like, this is, this is, this is what gets me tight, is when... There are some white people who, they play this role. I, it's, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about this. And then start getting emotional. It's like, and in her case, to make it even more specific to her, it's like, she was one of those kind of defending Trump, and then now she realized, oh my God, it's divisive, and his language, and now it's like you're at fault. And now it's like, oh, I'm, I don't want to have this conversation. I'm uncomfortable, so now I'm going to cry. It's like, boo-boo, I don't want to see your tears, and I don't want to hear that right now. Because that does nothing for me. And it really irks my nerve when there are some white people who play this card. They want to be victimized and or they want to play victim to and they want to cry about it. it's uncomfortable having this. You want to know what it's like being uncomfortable in this country? Being reminded each and every day that you're a person of color. Like real life. Living these truths and going around and being a DeAndre Harris getting beat up by a mob of white dudes. That was a rally, riot, and they still can't find people who didn't. They got pictures of them, and it's on video. It's on video. Like, you know what that feels like? That's uncomfortable. He got a reason to cry. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you want to take it up or not? Sandra Bland's mother has a reason to cry because her daughter's no longer here. That's uncomfortable. Sean Bell's former wife, or was about to be his wife, has a reason to be uncomfortable. So don't come to me with this whole, you defended this man during this whole time of his election. And now it's like, y'all have visually seen what's happened. It's a product of what he was putting out there. All of this is a product of what Trump was encouraging. And was everybody falling asleep when this man was doing his speeches? Were they, was they falling asleep when, he, when they pull up the whole recording of him grabbing vaginas? Like, where the hell were y'all? And now all of a sudden it's, I'm uncomfortable. Will you be uncomfortable? I don't care about all of that. We're going to have this conversation. Deal with it. And she was one of many reporters who were feeling in disbelief as to what happened. And I was really confused by that. Like, I didn't understand that. I think, I just want to make the point that when... When someone like a Melissa Francis says they're uncomfortable with having this conversation, I think that that really is not helping anything by saying you're uncomfortable with it. And I think one of the things that will definitely spark change and make a difference is the conversations that white people are having with each other when there aren't any black people or any people of color around because those that's the opportunity if you hear people saying ignorant, racist, misogynistic, whatever, just just hateful things, that's an opportunity for you to jump in and say, hey, no, you can't say shit like that. That's wrong. And I think that's a unique power that we don't have as people of color because, like, there are some people who are racist but in the shadows. They're not going to come out and blatantly say it. So you can't address something that you can't see. You can't handle something that you don't know that you don't know. You could assume people are racist. You could assume people have hatred or bigotry in their hearts. But 
if you are in rooms where people are actually expressing this stuff, when they, they feel safe and comfortable enough around you to say it, then I think it's your responsibility if you really are against that to speak up and say something. And for you to just say that you're, that those conversations make you uncomfortable, you're just perpetuating it and just allowing it to continue. And then situations like the Charlottesville rally happen and things aren't going to get better unless you address it. But also, too, to tie it into what you're saying, um, so when are we allowed to have those conversations? We're in 2017. You got dudes, like, repping Nazi flags <laughs> at the University of Virginia. Friday and Saturday, bro. Two days in a row. One wasn't enough. Like, at what point, and for people like her, the uncomfortable ones, like... At what point do we have these conversations? When are we able to have these conversations? Racism is an uncomfortable thing in general because to see the historical context of where it has been, where we're at, and where we're probably going to go in this country, it's it's sad. Lives have been lost. You know what I'm saying? Like There are groups that are more privileged than others. That's why when earlier this, when I had mentioned... For them to say that white people had enough in this country and they're fed up by what? Like, we should be fed up. We should be marching and having riots and rallies and showing up armed. Yo, easy, easy, the- easy, 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 easy. <laughs> I'm saying, we have a right to be fed up. We have been through so much and we're still going through a lot of ish in this country. So I don't understand. Okay, so we can't have the conversation because you uncomfortable. So we won't have it. But then these events happen subsequent to us putting a man like that in office. When are we allowed to have those conversations? She, But also, be mindful. She wasn't the only reporter that was in disbelief about what he said. So Exhibit B. Van Jones, a political commentator, conducted an interview on the Anderson Cooper show where he states that Trump doesn't know how to distinguish between the founder of our country who was a flawed individual but did great things and the person who led a rebellion against his country. Robert Lee should not be in the same sentence as George Washington. He cannot distinguish between Nazis with torches saying anti-Jewish stuff. So for those of you who saw this interview, Van Jones, a grown man, was very emotional, in tears, and kind of just to go back to what Keanu was saying, this shouldn't be a surprise to people. It's like this man has been running his campaign on just divisive, hateful rhetoric. And it's like, oh, it's like, what, what do you, ex- what, what did you expect? Like this shouldn't be a surprise. And I think what got me the most is that he was really emotional and Van Jones had become very popular throughout the election season and, like, pretty much made a name for himself. So to know that when he was saying all this on Anderson Cooper's show, he was very emotional. And to know that he was emotional, I'm like, as a black man to see you crying over this, I was like, you can't be serious. Like, you know that this is what this man was about from the beginning of time. And at some point, I think Van Jones had faith in Trump and feel like, you know, we should give him a chance. He kind of bended in that aspect. So to see that he was emotional, 
I was just kind of taken aback because I was like, I don't get the tears. Like, you know, I don't understand why you're crying over this. Like, it is pretty evident that Trump has been true to who he is from the beginning of time. So that the fact that you're surprised that, you know, that he doesn't really know how to distinguish between neo-Nazis is, to me, it's not a surprise at all. Like, listen to the man conduct a speech. Like, are you serious right now? He can't even pronounce certain words. Much less use big words in his vocabulary. So are we going to really... Very bad. Not (laughs) good. Are we really going to expect for him to know that? Like, I mean, as a president, he should. But clearly, the standards of becoming president in this country has dropped a lot. I'll be putting my ballot in in four years. I'm saying I'll vote for you, bro. You just might make it, too. (laughs) That ass. (laughs) The youngest president. (laughs) Um, also in the aftermath of the riot, too, um, campuses were rejecting the rallies. So apparently, the University of Virginia was like the stepping stone of it. Richard Spencer, which was also, he's also a white supremacist, he wanted to, he requested to have the rally at the University of Florida, but they denied the request. It was supposed to be held on September 12th. Due to what happened at University of Virginia, they did not want to partake in those activities, and they did not want to have any issues on their campus pertaining to violence. Also, too, um, Texas AME, there was a request to have the rally on that campus for September 11th. Of all days, September 11th. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? It's funny how those things work out. Um, the school had denied that as well, denied the request for them to have the rally. And in regards to that, there was um, the person who had put forth for the request was um Preston Wingington and because the school had denied him of it allegedly he had intends to take it further to court because his first amendment rights were violated so while that's in the process of working in terms of going to court in the interim the school is going to be working on their case in terms of in terms of mentioning why it wouldn't be a place for them to conduct a rally in terms of safety issues. So there's a lot of, there's not a lot of reports, but there's like a back and forth about it. Yes, the First Amendment, right, which is like what they're all spewing and utilizing all of a sudden. But as a counter in regards to these schools, it's like, well, if your First Amendment right is going to deprive certain people of their rights, so they're going to feel disenfranchised or there's going to be violence that is a root of that or a cause of it, it's more of a reason not to have it on a campus. Because no one thought the University of Virginia situation was going to happen the way it did. You know, you can't control stuff like that. And so to see if this actually plays out in court, if he actually takes it up to court, is going to be an interesting sight. But I highly doubt it's going to go that far. I wouldn't be surprised if it does. Um, so officials in Lexington, Kentucky have cast votes to relocate two Confederate statues from outside a former courthouse. The former courthouse will be converted into a visitor center. And according to CBS News, the proposal to remove the two statutes was unanimously approved by the Lexington Fayette Urban County Council after three hours of public testimony in support of the resolution. And I think that's that's a that's a great thing in my eyes because I really don't understand the just the the passion behind all the confederate flags and the confederate statues like these people in the south were trying to overthrow the government and they lost that the war was over they lost and i don't understand why they're so like 
gung ho on keeping these these monuments, statues, just anything to remind them of that time. Well, I mean, you stated earlier today, like um, to preserve what they have. I think these monuments, if it actually means anything to them, as much as they're saying it does. I think that's a form of them preserving it. But like I said before, too, I really don't think these monuments are the root of it. I think it's a part of what the bigger issue is, and they're not going to really say what it is. But I don't think it's, like, the core of all of these, like, rallies and riots going on that they're removing monuments. Like, some of these people don't even know who these monuments belong to. Like, the dude who ran over the girl, John James Phil, did he really know who um, Robert E. Lee was? Like, did he know what he stood for? So to me, it's and that's I would like to do a little pop quiz. Like, who are these people to y'all? What have they done for you? <laughs> when was they born? When did they die? What purpose do they serve? Because I really want to know. Like, and I'm not trying to be funny. Like, I don't think I really don't think these monuments matter that much to be the core. But I just feel like it's like it's a part of why they're doing this, but it's not the core of it. And I think by removing it it ties into them feeling like their race is not being preserved. And then it's it's always a question of you remove these monuments, you rename the parks, what's next? Uh, equality. It's going to take more than that. <laughs> it's going to take more than some monuments removal and some park names to lead to equality. But if that's what you want to ride on, go ahead. Another thing, too, after the aftermath of the riot, which is interesting, is that um, CEOs were dropping like flies, apparently, and all of a sudden they they no longer wanted to be affiliated with Trump for that matter. Brian Krasnick, the chief executive of Intel, resigned from American Manufacturing Council, which was crazy because it's like after this incident happened, it was more so they felt as if he was being more divisive and encouraging that kind of behavior among the neo-nazis and the terrorists but what got me which was funny you know the donald had to tweet something like what would happen if he never tweeted and he basically responded in regards to that by saying that ken fraser of merck pharma has resigned from the president's manufacturing council he will have more time to lower rip off drug prices <laughs> like why why is this man so disrespectful like that to me was really interesting. Like, so to see that, I'm not surprised by him coming back with a tweet, but that's just one of that's just one of the CEOs that had decided to kind of discontinue their relationship with him. Um, Kenneth Frazier, too, the chief executive of drug maker Merck and an African American, surprisingly, he resigned, stating a stand against intolerance extremism. The reason why I say him being African American is a surprise is that. Let's keep it 100. You are a part of this man's council. You've heard his whole election and what the core of it was. And the fact that now this riot rally took place and now it's like, oh, I can't be a part of it anymore. I can't be affiliated with you. I want to discontinue in terms of me being a part of this council because you're you're not standing up for anything. It's like, so were you not paying attention this whole entire time? Yeah. Like, you just woke up. Like, like. On August 11th, you woke up. He was in the sunken place. He was <laughs> Clearly, he was in a sunken place. I was just kind of, I was really surprised and amazed by that. And I'm not sure 
if he was expecting any kind of response from the public in terms of, hey, you did a good job. It was like, yeah, no, it's a little too late for all of that. And also, too, um, Kevin Plank, the CEO of Under Armour, resigned from the council. But here's the thing that I was kind of, like, wrapping my head around is that why did it take this incident to happen for these CEOs to resign from the council? If the concern is having a president support um, divide and extremism, then why wait until now? The Donald was encouraging all of this prior to and during his election. So why is it that this one incident took place and it was like, oh yeah, no, we just, we can't, we can't be affiliated with you anymore. What do you think? Mm, I think it's because it's one thing to hear the speeches and kind of see the, like the emotions and the feelings that those speeches and all his talk brought about in people, but actually to see it manifest into a rally that turns into a riot that turns into a life being lost and dozens injured that's when it becomes real and then seeing that on television people are like oh well it was all good when it was just just talking about it but now that i see people are taking action on it like now they're trying to distance themselves from it but i think it's way too late for that like, <laughs> like way too late right. um so i mean it it's definitely questionable and also i i i question if these companies are going to if their business is going to be affected in some aspects so now that we know who the ceos of part of his council was their names are put out there and people who probably support these businesses if they're going to continue to support or what their take on it is so I don't really know if that's going to have a huge effect because, I mean, when you, when you tie it down to it's about capitalism. And I think in part why they supported Trump is because, you know, he's not the brightest of the bulb, but he has money. <laughs> like, let's keep it 100. So, and he has ties. And I think that plays a part in why they joined the council. I'm not sure if this is a real reason as to why they wanted to discontinue. Maybe it was other things building up over time and this kind of was like the straw that broke the camel's back. But to me, you don't get a hurrah and a round of applause because... You shouldn't even have been a part of that council from the jump. Yeah. I think, I love that you mentioned that point because I think that's where our power comes from because we're in a capital, capitalistic society and we're consumers. We yeah. spend the money and I think that's where you really can affect change when people decide, I'm not supporting this business and I'm not supporting your bottom line anymore because I don't support you, your ethics, and yeah. what you guys believe in. And I think we, we really need to get present to that and really understand that because we have way more power than, than we realize. I think when people protest and rally and hashtags, all that stuff is nice, but I think when you really start dipping into people's bottom lines, that's when people are going to get into action and things are going to change when their money starts getting affected. And I think, again, we need to really understand that and and do something about that and use that power by holding our money to ourselves and just relocating into different businesses, different companies. Um, no, I, it's true. I, I always think about the Montgomery bus boycotts with Martin Luther King because... The black community in Alabama at that time, they all stopped riding the bus from the kids to the old ladies. 
and it literally was crippling the city because all these black people weren't spending their money at the on the buses so the company was losing money the city was losing um the city was losing revenue because there weren't as yeah. many buses taking people to work people weren't able to get to work so everyone was getting affected mm-hmm. and it things started to happen and change started to take place because of that because they stood um sturdy and with their resolve like we're not going to support this and i think we need to realize that as consumers that's where our real power comes in just that almighty dollar where we decide to get spent that's really important and I think we need to really start utilizing that to really make change in this world, in this country. No, you're right. It's very valid. And I think that's where we could kind of take back our power in a sense. But that takes time. And not everybody's on the same page in terms of that. You know what I'm saying? Some people, they rather continue to be consumers and spend and give towards these companies um, because it's easier than opposed to actually protesting and standing for something. But we have to take, we have to move forward as a country and unite and have solidarity in that aspect. And we're not there yet. But it's a very valid point. Um, another ins- another issue that happened subsequent the riot too was you know celebrities kind of speaking about it. And for one, Lady Gaga wrote a tweet out. And so the tweet from Lady Gaga read, "For the black community, tell us the ways the non-racist white community who loves you can do better to help influence the country." Hashtag How do we do better? And Amanda Sales responded to her and for those of you who know Amanda Sales she is on Insecure (laughs) she is the one um she represents herself as an AKA and she's married to the dude and I love that show by the way so definitely tune in to Insecure on HBO shout out to Issa if you're listening I love you baby (laughs) I love you too holla at me girl (laughs) all right relax so Amanda Sales um responded back to Lady Gaga stating dear non-racist white folks asking black people to tell to tell what to do is not helpful. Use your resources. Gaga should have said, my fellow non-racist white people, it's time we further educate ourselves and get to work on being the generation to end racism. It is not every black person's role to educate white folks on how to fix their racist system. I'm appalled at anyone who suggests it is. Y'all can keep on playing mammy and raising white woman children if you want to. <laughs> yes, boo-boo. I'd rather work with folks who research and take action. So this was... This is very interesting to me. I just want to give a shout-out to Amanda Seals. I was like, girl, I respect you, and I respect her for that tweet. Um, I think what she said is very valid. It is not our place as black people to have the resolution to slavery and I've not slavery but racism in this country and aftermath of slavery let's keep it 100 um it is not our place to have a solution to racism we did not start it we did not create it It, we were a part of it we are the victims of racism as much as we think we're not and that's not the case and then we have people like the reporters crying because they're uncomfortable and they feel like they're the victims no 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 we're the victims of it and I don't think it is our place to educate non-racist white people about what you should be doing and i think amanda had a very valid point do your research do the work come together as a community you know what example what prime example of what you can do is have conversations with racist white people that are part of your family that are people that you're friends with and you front you're not friends with them but you are or you know have those conversations have those uncomfortable conversations to the point that they're comfortable 
It is not our place to give you a manual and a guide and a step-by-step -step from start to finish as what to do. To me, you put a lot of burden at, on black people to solve problems that we did not create. And it's not fair. It's like you turn into a woman and be like, yo, tell me how I can't rape you. Like, tell me what I need to do not to rape you. Well, let's say, let's start off with be no. But that, that's kind of simple, is it not? So, like, me and Pierre, we disagree on this topic. And I know he's going to get into his half of it. But I just... I personally feel like, and it's a conversation I've had multiple times, I don't think it's our place to combat racism, and I don't think it's our place to educate or try to solve the problems of it. I really don't believe that. What you about to say, Pierre? I completely disagree. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Because one, just now you gave a solution by saying, speaking to your people that you know who are white and are racist, that's going against what she just said she doesn't think we should be doing. I feel like at the end of the day, if you really want to create change and you want to make a difference or if you want different results, you have to take ownership of it. And I think us as black people, if we want to see change and want to make the world different, we have to take ownership of it. And that's just personally how I go about my life in general. I try to take full responsibility in any situation. Even if I can't control how other people are acting or what's going on around me, you can take ownership of how you respond to it. And I think if someone is coming out and asking you what can we do to make this better, if you have real solutions and ideas how to do that, definitely you should be having that conversation. You should be talking and coming together to figure out what can we do to make this, make this work. I think it's irresponsible to say it's not up to us you figure it out well in because part the if, reason why i said that as a solution is i was being sarcastic when i made that point or an example so that's one it was a form of me being sarcastic in relation to what she said so it doesn't really go against what she said and secondly you talk about taking ownership Okay, so DeAndre Harris have to take ownership that several white men ganged on him and beat him. And he needs to take ownership. Oh, I have to sit down and explain racism to these men because they don't understand after they attack me. This is, and I'm using that as an example. Where do we cross the line where we, we're stopped taking ownership? And at what point do we take ownership and part of racism? At what point do we need to take part in ownership of racism? That to me makes, does not make sense to me. Like... It is not our job to sit up here and say, listen, to whomever are non-racist white people, these are the guidelines you go by. Why is it that for the ones who are not racist, and I do believe there are white people out there that are not racist, why is it you can't do your research? Why is it that you can't figure out solutions on your own? Why is it that the group that is marginalized, disenfranchised in this country, and is treated as othered throughout this whole time, now has to find a solution as to why they're being treated as such and help you understand what you're doing and your mechanisms of what you're doing. We have a 20-year-old neo-Nazi terrorist killing people or killed one and injured several in 2017. And I have to take ownership that he don't understand what he's doing, but he know damn well what he's doing. Like, at what point do we hold white people accountable and say, nah, like... Real talk, you got to do the work. We in 2017, and how many times have our past leaders, like Martin Luther King Jr., was educating white people on what to do, and, we, and look where we at. Look where we at, bruh. In 2017, this is where we at. 
So to me, that whole we need to educate, we need we did that though, and people forget. To, I've our previous black leaders done their work. They educated the white people who are not racist. Told them to go out and do their part. And look where we are in 2017. I'm, so to me, we it's the the whole premise of us doing that. It's counterintuitive because it hasn't done anything for us. I'm not saying educate anybody. I I think everyone knows. I think people who say racism isn't real are just talking out their ass because it's obvious. And I'm not saying to educate. I'm saying to actually find solutions and do things to make a difference and change it. And I just just for example, right off the bat, I'm thinking about Michael Jordan and the Jordan brand. Black people spend so much money on that on Jordan apparel, Jordan clothing, but Michael Jordan and his companies, they they actually invest in privatized prisons. Yeah. If black people literally said we are not buying Jordans anymore and stop spending money on Jordan, you don't think that's gonna affect that brand and the bottom line of these companies that work with Jordan? I just think kinda of going back to what I was saying before about us as consumers, black people we spend a lot of money as consumers and understanding that we are part of this system and we have an ability to affect it by by who we support, where our money goes. I think that can literally change so much. Like But what does that have to do with us what does that have to do with us finding solutions for white people? that are not racist well that what did, i'm confused i'm trying I, to connect the dots i guess i was saying that more so in regard to you were saying taking ownership because i think same way you're saying there are white people who aren't educated there are black people who really aren't that educated about the reality of what it is to be black in america and they just go about life being angry or upset or oblivious whatever the case may be but not really doing anything to try to make a difference about it. Not to actually go out and take action. And I just think... But at the same time, it's not a white person's job to make them realize what it's like to be black in America. It is not a white person's due diligence to say, hey, I'm going to let you understand what it's like to be white, black in America. And I don't see black people going around like, can you help me understand what's going on in this country? To a white person, can you help me understand what it's like to be black in America? That's You know what I'm saying? Like... I see where you're going with it. You're making all of these points, but to bring it back to where between Amanda Sale and Lady Gaga and the tweet that was made, I get what you're saying. There are black people who are not educated about what it's like to be black in America, and they are misinformed, and they're going around their they days and doing whatever they do. I get that. But it's completely different if that same black person or those group expect a white person to make them understand what it's like to be black in America. That's the point that I'm trying to make. And at what point, and if that works for you and you want to run around and you want to educate and you want to find solutions or help um, non-racist white people find solutions, go ahead. But let me tell you something. When you keep running on that treadmill and you keep going, at what point are you going to stop? Because it, it goes from one of them to the next, to the next, to the next. And, and which I said, our past leaders have done a lot of that work. A lot of that work and I get it we you know we're separate but equal or whatever the hell we are now I get that but it look where we're at now it's not like all the work that they've done has gotten us to the point that we are in a post-racial America it was like oh that really made a difference look where we're at 
it didn't make a difference because look where we're at now. You said it didn't make a difference? It didn't make that much of a difference because look where we're at now. We're still segregated to some aspects as a country. We may take, okay, we're in New York City. That's very diverse. Go outside of New York City. I lived in Valparaiso, Indiana. It's racist as fuck. And I'm not even joking. So that's what I'm trying to... The thing is with you and what I really like about you, Pia, is that you, you are very... You have this whole utopia kind of ideology of how the world should be. And I think it's great. And I understand where you're coming from in terms of... I don't think it's right to say that take ownership of it because it is not our place. It is not our job and our due diligence to find resolutions for racism if we didn't create it to begin with. Um, I get your stance on it, but I just feel like at what point are we going to stop doing that? And at what point? And I, and I see it like this. I really feel like if white people as a whole took accountability for racism, mm-hmm. the ones who are racist, the ones who are not, and actually worked together as a whole took full it, and we didn't baby them over these years, and we didn't try to educate, and we didn't try to hold their hand and coddle them and say, oh, you don't want to have this conversation, you're uncomfortable, okay, let's talk about apples and oranges. I think if we really did not do all of that, we would have been more progressive as a country. Because what we're telling them to do is have conversations with the ones that you should have been having those conversations. You should have been dismantling all of that. Your family or your cousin is a part of the Ku Klux Klan. That ain't family. Like, how can you just sit back and say people should be doing this? That's not the reality of the situation. If it's not happening, you can't just expect it to happen. But then why do you expect us to do it? Because, but then why do you expect us to do it? That's the only way to guarantee that it happens, by you taking the action to make what you want to happen, not sitting and hoping that other people will do it. But we've been doing the work all these years. Our leaders have been doing the work. We've been doing that. And my thing is, I see it like this, this whole concept around racism and discombating it, and as black people educating it, I feel like we're on a hamster wheel. I feel like black people are just on it. We just keep running. We keep running. We keep running. We keep running. We just... And at a point... All I want to know is when is that wheel going to stop without us dying? At what point is that wheel going to stop and we're going to say, I'm not going to find a solution for you. Figure it out on your own. Go do your research. And, and tell me what you come back with. Well, at what point are we going to sit up here and say to people like them, no, we're not doing it for you. How about you do the work? How about y'all try doing the work? And to me, when it comes to the context of history and where we're at and our previous leaders, I just feel like that's all we've been doing is like educating. I was that at one point, sitting in classrooms, finding solutions. The shit gets tiring. And then y'all wonder why black people are out here getting depressed and we can't even have those conversations. Jay-Z done slipped that into one of his tracks about having a therapist. How many black men out here paying for a therapist before they go get a pair of Jordans? I'll wait. Oh, you ain't got nothing to say? Bet. Cool. So we got that happening. And then you have black people getting depressed and committing suicide. You don't think all of this was going on in the world and how we are treated and marginalized, it plays a part in it. It does happen. And I just feel like at what point, I just really want to know, when are we going to stop trying to find a solution for them when they should be the ones finding a solution? Come to me with your solutions. That's something I could work. Come to me with your solutions and we could sit down together. We can have a conversation. We can move forward. The fact that I got to experience racism mm-hmm. on many different levels and magnitude in this country. And then you want me to find a solution is to me, it's just mind boggling to me. I just, I just don't get it. I really don't. 
I just we're just gonna uh, we're just never gonna agree on this point then because honestly all I'm hearing is I'm gonna sit back and wait for you to change something that hasn't been changing instead of me being proactive to try to get it done no matter how much work that is if it's gonna be work for my entire life until the day I die to make a difference and a change for my children or my children's children why would I not do that versus sitting and hoping someone else is going to do it? I think, I think that a lot of people just in general, outside of racism, outside of these issues, people go about their life hoping for things instead of taking action and figuring out every possible way they can to actually get the result that they want done. That's why, and that again, that's just me. No, I understand what you're saying. I think more so... Like I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. If our past leaders never really took the time and they weren't a part of that in terms of trying to resolve racism and trying to come up with solutions and none of that work was being done, I would probably be more open-minded to that because I'm like, well, it was never done. But the fact that when you read about these things and what our leaders stood for and what they did and how they worked with white people who are not racist and tried to combat it, and they died over that, trying to do that. They end up getting assassinated during the process of doing that. This is what I'm... And then what, what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to continue doing that and we all get assassinated and what, who we have left. Like, that's, that's the point that I'm making is that all of that has been done already. And it's still happening. Amanda Seals didn't want to give an explanation or solution. Cool, I'm not doing it either. Um, or there's several others, but there's others that are going to. Who, who are you going to wait for? Donald Trump to find a solution well, I'm for not, us? No, I'm not waiting on that because Lord knows I'm not waiting on that. But I'm just saying, like, I'm not saying him. I'm saying the ones who are not clearly not racist. Those are the people that need to step to the plane. My thing is, it's been done in the past. Look where we at in 2017. Black, black and brown people still dying in the hands of police brutality and there's no conviction happening. There's not. You having white Ku Klux members going to a rally armed in an open carry state. Philando Castile was in an open carry state and got shot and killed. Like, and he's a black man. And I don't mean to raise my voice, but I get angry about these things because like certain groups are able to carry on and do what they do, but then others can't do the same thing. Philando Castile should have never died if you in an open carry state. That makes no sense. And you have a license. But you have these white men at a rally and armed. Why are you armed at a rally? Y'all plan to do work. Y'all plan to kill somebody. Y'all plan to hurt somebody. And the cops witnessed them beating up a black man. They didn't do anything. So this is this is the point that I make. And I get upset about these things because it's bullshit. And this is the point that I make. Our past leaders have done the work. They have done the And look where we at in 2017. The beginning of all of this has a strong emphasis on 2017. At what point as black people we going to say, I'm done trying to find a solution for y'all. Figure this shit out. I think if we get to that point, then it's over. At that point, once you say you're done... I think it's already over. We got Donald Trump as president, and this is year one. Listen, at the end of the day, I get it. I completely understand where you're coming from, but look what we're doing right now. We're recording a podcast. We're putting it online. We're sharing our thoughts. Our ancestors couldn't have done anything like that, and... I, it could have been... Well, then e- again, it's a different time and technology and stuff like that. So I'm sure they probably would have if they had it. But... Okay. Go ahead. I, I mean, mean I'm just to, saying. You're trying to get fancy. I'm not trying to get fancy. I'm just keeping it on it. Okay. But what I'm saying is that you're saying that our past leaders have done the work. 
but the work isn't over. There's still more work to do. And I think, I get it. It's a lot and it sucks and there's, it's not fair and it's terrible. But at the end of the day, that doesn't change the reality of the situation and that the work is still going to have to be done. And, and honestly, you're probably never, in our lifetime, you're probably not going to get to the point that you want to see. Like, but does that mean you're going to just sit by and just let things go as as they are? No, I'm not going as I am. I'm building on my community. I'm building on my people. Those are concerning. That's you me. taking ownership that's, of that's that. That's me taking ownership and being involved in my community and building my community. And finding resolutions for us to continue to evolve in this world and not have moments of depression or feel as if that we're going to commit suicide and kill off each other. Those are the parts that I'm playing. Right. When it comes to racist white people, that is not my problem. I'm not finding solutions for y'all. And for the ones who are not racist, it is not my problem, nor is it my job. To sit up here and find solutions for you to talk with your colleagues about or your peers. That is not what I was born to do. I'm sorry. I'm not doing it. I just feel like I've and I've done it in college and had conversations with people. Oh. And still come around and we are still a segregated campus. Like this is the point that I'm making. It's like you've had those conversations. These are the solutions we need to talk about. These, it's not like I haven't played a part and I haven't done that. I've done it, but I've seen it not lead to anything. There was no change. There was no progression. It was a conversation on dead ears. And that's the problem that I have with it. And it's, to me, I just feel like our leaders have done so much. And yes, we have progressed as a country to some aspects, some states more than others in this world. But at the same time, it's like, look how what they sacrificed, their lives, their families. And they did all of that work, and look where, and still, it seems as if we're going backwards. And I get what you're saying. We agree to disagree. I just, I just feel like it's not my place, not my position. I really don't care to educate, and I agree with Amanda Sales. It is not our job to do that. But if you want to continue riding that hamster wheel, boo, I got you. I got, I, I, I believe in you. I, oh my. I see the muscles coming in. You good? Keep going on that wheel, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just think it's, you can't. <laughs> you're literally just saying you're saying that you're supporting your community you're doing things in your community you're just but you're just gonna disregard the other the other people that live in the country with us like what do you mean I'm, you act like as if I'm not gonna talk to them I never said I'm gonna disregard I just don't I'm just not going to come up with solutions as to why we need to combat racism. It is not my problem to solve. I didn't create racism. Um, I did not create the systems that are at play, that play a part in why certain people are deprived than others and certain people lack privileges than others. And it is not my position or is it my job to find a resolution. I'm sorry. It is draining and it's frustrating. And you can do that. I, I see the power in you. And I see this positive energy and all of this great stuff. So you can respond to Lady Gaga and tell her what she needs to do. But me, along with Amanda Sales and several or more other people, it's not my place and I'm not doing it. I will respond to Lady Gaga. Okay, go ahead. Hashtag be who you are. Yes. <laughs> Bring me on tour. <laughs> Once again, thank you for tuning in and that's our show for today. Please follow us for our latest updates on Instagram at underscore unapologetically underscore different. You can reach out to us on Twitter at unapologetic underscore underscore d and on facebook by searching unapologetically different 
all of our episodes are also posted on iTunes and on SoundCloud. And last, you can just send us an email at unapologeticallydifferent@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Bye.